our passage today is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I uh, was praying about what to preach for Gather at the Grove this Sunday, and I sort of prayed my way to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Uh, it's a very churchy passage. It directs the church directly, and it um, pertains to what it means to be the church. And it seemed appropriate for for a gathering like this, but as I prayed my way there, I think I've also pretty firmly decided that this is where we'll spend our summer, working through 1 Corinthians. I don't know how far we'll get, but most of summer, I think we're going to work through 1 Corinthians. I think that's what the Lord would like for us to do. Um, this will serve as kind of a soft introduction to it, and we'll be a little more thorough next Sunday. But let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, of Christ Jesus. And I do think that order is significant. And our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's much that could be said about this, and and in fact, I might be revisiting it quite a bit next week. But for this Sunday, I have one main point for you. The sermon in a sentence is this. The church is imperfect but has been given a holy calling and everything necessary to fulfill it. The church is imperfect, but has been given a holy calling and everything necessary to fulfill it. So we'll work through this based on this text. And the first point may not come as a shock to you, but the church is imperfect. The church is imperfect. Churches are imperfect. Now, I want you to think, have you ever heard anything negative about a church? Yes. Have you ever said anything negative about a church? Have you ever been in a conversation negative about a church? Well, that's because churches are imperfect. There's scandals, there's mistakes, there's church splits, as we well know. Churches close, there's just weirdness. That happens among churches. Um, Churches are full of all sorts of people. Churches are filled up with a a rich mixture of people. It can be easy to assume that a church is a bunch of mature Christians, and so they all ought to be very Christ-like. But in reality, the church is made up of people who are unsaved and know that they're unsaved, of people who are unsaved and think that they're saved but do not have regeneration they do not have new life in them it's full of baby christians who are genuinely christians but they're just starting to grow 
And then every step of maturity on up to the very Christ-like people. So the church is a mix of all sorts of people. And even the ones more Christ-like are still sinful. So it's a, it's a big wad of people. And when you get a big wad of people, you're going to have a mess. Because we are a mess. That's why Jesus came. So we are all imperfect. Churches are imperfect. I, I hope you're all sitting down for this point. Doolin's Grove is imperfect. It is. I don't hear any amens about that. Have you ever noticed any imperfections about our church? Nobody shout out. I'm noticing it right now, Pastor. Our church is imperfect. Okay? I am an imperfect pastor. We have imperfect church leadership. We have an imperfect church structure. We have imperfect membership. You are imperfect. There's only one thing perfect about the church, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have spiritual imperfections. We have relational issues. We have structural imperfections. We have leadership imperfections. We can be stagnant. We can be stunted in our growth. We can believe false doctrines. We can, through misunderstandings or genuine, genuine hurtfulness, get fractured in relationships with one another. We can be proud rather than humble. We can be selfish rather than selfless. We're deeply imperfect. So that's the end of my sermon. Thank you all for coming this morning. Wasn't that encouraging? Positive, uplifting encouragement at Doolin's Grove today. You're awful. You're welcome. I'm just kidding. You, you need to know as we think honestly about our imperfections that the Corinthian church was worse. So be encouraged by that. Just think, think, thinking as pessimistically as possible about us as the church and churches in general, the Corinthian church was worse. Okay, there may be some churches that are as, in as bad a shape as the Corinthian church. I'm sure there are, but it was pretty bad. Let me tell you a little bit about the Corinthian church. For one, they had deep divisions among their fellowship. Some people were fans of a guy named Apollos. Some people were fans of Paul. And they argued about it and fussed about it and they were prideful about it and they were genuinely divided by it. It's one of the reasons Paul wrote this letter. They were proud and arrogant they had gross immorality present in the church. Uh, so, so evil was the immorality in the Corinthian church that Paul said they are allowing things that even the unbelievers wouldn't allow. It, it's things I don't really even want to mention explicitly right now because there's children in the room. And not only did they have that sin among them ongoing, they tolerated it and even boasted about it and were arrogant about it. They had, members of the church were filing lawsuits against one another, civil lawsuits. So imagine two people coming in. I would imagine one would come through that set of doors and one would come through that set of doors and one would sit like over here and the other one would sit like over there. Who tomorrow afternoon at 1 p.m. were going to meet in court to battle out some disagreement that they had. They had that going on in the church. They had idolatry, doctrinal confusion. This is maybe my favorite part. They had an issue with when they would meet for the Lord's Supper, people being gluttonous and drunk 
off of the Lord's Supper and refusing to, to let everybody get to the table because they were just gorging themselves on both. So imagine that, the Lord's Supper. We're passing the plates and it just stops. And you look over and the guy's just shoveling it in. And the plate of drink, it just stops and just chugging it. Now, it's hard to get drunk on grape juice. Theirs was alcoholic. But can you picture that kind of dysfunction? And disorderly worship gatherings, it was a mess. It was a deeply imperfect church, church, deeply flawed, in trouble. Now, my point in highlighting this in reference to this passage is that I just want you to see that their imperfections were not the most important thing about them, as bad as they were. Paul didn't address them as, he didn't say, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of dysfunction and ignorance and arrogance to the bunch of imbeciles at Corinth. He said to the church of God at Corinth. As messed up as they were, he still referred to them to the church of God at Corinth. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. That means to be set apart as holy in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Both their Lord and ours. He doesn't address them directly in light of all this mess. Now, he is going to address the mess. That rhymes really well. That might need to be the sermon title one day. Address the mess. If you look in verse 4, he's actually grateful for them. I give thanks to my God always for you. Now, my message is not, it's okay to be imperfect, so we'll just stay put where we are. My message is not, it's okay to be full of unsaved people or immature Christians not growing, or it's okay for me to not grow as a pastor in my ability to pastor you well, because we're all imperfect. Nobody's perfect but Jesus, so we're just going to stand still where we are. That's not my message. Our new slogan is not going to be, Doolin's Grove Church, not as bad as the Corinthians. It's not okay to be, it's not that it's okay to be imperfect, it's that it's okay to admit our imperfection, and to address it. It's not that it's okay for a church to be imperfect. It's that it's okay for us to admit the fact that we are imperfect and to address it. There's a temptation to ignore or justify our imperfections. To point to the church down the road and say, look how bad they are. I, I wonder sometimes if that's why a lot of Christians do badmouth other churches. Because it makes us feel a little bit more secure about our church. But we don't need to justify ourselves in any way. We can just admit it. We're imperfect. There's a temptation to complain about our imperfections but not do anything about it. Have any of you ever complained about our church's imperfections and yet not done anything to help? There's a temptation to leave for greener pastures because of the imperfections of the church. And we have had people do that. Now, we've had some folks leave with my full blessing because they had really good reasons for it. It had to do with wanted to be in, in Christian fellowship with their true community of people that they really lived among. And that makes sense to me. But we've had others leave for greener pastures of preference. 
You know, I don't think that's really a very good reason to leave because the church you're going to is also going to be imperfect because that's also a lot of people. So we need to avoid these temptations to either justify or avoid our imperfections and just look at them head on and address them. So I'm going to start naming out people that I think are imperfect. Alphabetically. <laughs> the, the rest of the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is Paul getting deep down into the imperfections of the Corinthian church with the gospel of Jesus Christ, like a flashlight, showing them the way out. That's what we want. He's very specific. He's very thorough. He's very firm. So this first point, the church is imperfect. I just want you to know it's okay to admit that we're imperfect. And it's essential that we address it. Because we've been given a holy calling and everything needed to fulfill it. Which brings me to my second point. We have been given a holy calling. Now, we each have been called who are Christians. You know how Paul opens here. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And you know how Paul was called. He was writing to go persecute Christians, and then God basically punched him in the face with the Spirit and the gospel and said, no more, I'm calling you, you're mine now, and you're going to be my apostle. Okay, Our callings are not quite that dramatic usually. But just as Paul was called to be an apostle, you are called. If you're a Christian, you are called of God. That's what he says here. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Called. You know, some people consider themselves called into ministry. I consider myself called into ministry. That's why I'm here. Um, you know, right after high school, all my friends moved off to NC State. And they seemed to know somehow they wanted to be engineers. And I didn't have a clue what I was supposed to do. And so I was like the one guy my age that stayed back at, at our church, Trinity Baptist Church in Monroe. And I got opportunities to teach the younger, like the middle school youth. And through those opportunities, I just fell in love with God's word and with, with trying to make it plain to people. And so I would sit in my, my room. I had a closet in my room with a little desk in, in the closet. I know it sounds weird, but it makes more sense if you could see it. Or maybe it doesn't. Meredith's seen it, and it's probably still weird. But my desk was in the closet there. And uh, I remember my youth pastor at the time, or former youth pastor, because I graduated high school, just gave me all of his commentaries to use. And I can remember sitting there with commentaries stacked up and open and, and books and taking notes. And that was not my style. I was a slacker in school. Uh, the very least to get by was sufficient. So there, there was a sense of calling already in me that there was a gifting that the Lord had given me and he wanted me to do something with it. And then several people sort of confirmed it. And, um, and, and one person actually prophesied that I would be a pastor. And I want to get too crazy here. Now, some of you may not be charismatic in that way, but his name was Curtis Nivens Jr., a Pentecostal guy that I worked with at a warehouse. And we were driving to go play tennis. And out of the blue, he said, you're going to be a pastor one day. I was like, all right, Curtis, whatever. He was always saying weird stuff. But I, I remember it. Now I'm a pastor. And then the decision to go to seminary and Bible college and all that whole process was God calling me. And, but that, there's nothing special about me or, or Paul or, or any of these other ordained ministers. Every Christian is called into the ministry. Every single one of you is called who is a Christian. You're called 
Called to what? In verse 2, he tells us, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. You're called to be saints. Saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. To be a saint, it's not exactly the Catholic conception of sainthood. Okay, there that saints in the Catholic conception is like a, a super class of super saints that are super powered. It's like superheroes. Um, we're saints is what every Christian is called to be. It just means set apart. It means you're meant to be holy. You're meant to be different than the world. You're meant to be other. You're, you're not of this world anymore. You're, you have a different citizenship. You're called to be a saint. You're not like the world anymore. You have St. Michael, St. Patrick. I've picked on Richard every week this month. St. Richard, St. Doris, St. Ron, St. Dawn, St. Dawn, St. Matt, St. Lee of Midland. We're called to be saints. Now what this means is we're called to be holy and it's easy to forget that essential calling as Christians. It's easy to forget the high, holy nature of our calling and just settle for like a Christian veneer over the surface of our lives that remain unchanged. And so we live just like the world, but we go to church. In our entertainment choices, we consume just like the world, but we have a Bible. In our way of relating to people, we're selfish and gossipy and, and arrogant, just like the world, but we have a Jesus fish on the back of our car. That veneer is a real issue in the church. That's one of the reasons that it's so difficult to get down into the imperfections with the gospel and really change. But we're called to be saints from our hearts to be different. In our relationships, we're called from division to unity. In our demeanor, we're called from arrogance to humility. In our lifestyle, we're called from impurity to purity. You know, there ought to be a difference in the purity level of a lifestyle of a, a grown Christian and the world. And often there's not. Often there's not. We, we've been duped into being just like the world. We've been desensitized to think that, that some things are okay that just aren't. You know, some of the things that we watch are not okay. And I'm not here to police your entertainment choices. I'm not going to ask for your Netflix passcodes and, and look at your recently watched, but... Some of the stuff's got to go. I gotta stop watching garbage. You gotta, gotta stop acting like we're no different than the world because we are. You know, I, I pull up Netflix and I can't pull up, unless it's the kids' account, I can't pull it up with the kids in the room because it'll show that popular on Netflix strip of things. And gosh, some of the, just the thumbnail images are so dark and grotesque and the, the horrific stuff and the sexually graphic stuff is, is just awful. And I don't want my children to be exposed to it, but we're just inundated by it. And just be aware, you're called to be set apart and different. And not just in your inner, that's just an easy, easy thing to point out, but in all areas. In our hearts, we're called from idolatry to worship. There ought to be a growing difference between what Christians value and what the world values. So as Christians, we have access and relationship with the one true God. 
So for us, it shouldn't be so important if we get a scratch on our car paint job or, or, you know, the, the things that otherwise would be the highest goals in life are no longer the highest goals in life for us as Christians. We have God himself. That's what it looks like to be called apart, holy, separate, different. So the picture that emerges is a church that's radically different because they've been sanctified by Jesus Christ. And as the Christians grow, there's a growing contrast between worldliness and godliness. And that ought to be what's noticeable, that contrast. You know, there's a debate going on forever among church leaders about contextualization. How much should like our worship service feel kind of similar to experiences in the world? So that way we keep people interested. You know, some people feel like, well, we need to get rid of the pews and get uh, more like stadium seating. So it feels more like you're in a movie theater or a concert venue. Some people feel like we need to get rid of the organ and, and bring in the electric guitars and the band because that feels more like what people are used to hearing. And we need to, to get rid of the whole sanctuary idea and it needs to be more of a gym, multi-purpose room. So it just it, it feels more comfortable to walk in from the world. It's like the world. Now, I'm not saying one's better than the other. I think... Either can be done genuinely with hearts of love for God and people and be fruitful. But I don't think that's the point. I don't think the point is our style of worship so much is our sainthood, our calling. Really, that should be the last thing people think about when they think about the church. Contemporary music or traditional music. Who cares? Who cares? When we were interviewing worship pastors, I always told them, it could be reggae music. So long as it facilitates us worshiping Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter. And I'd like Jan for you to start playing some reggae music. <laughs> if that'd be okay. <laughs> they should notice how we love each other. That's what should be noticeable. And they should come in and they should think, well, that's weird. They've got an organ playing. I hadn't heard that ever. But they think, man, they love each other. The quality of that fellowship is like nothing I've ever seen. That's what Jesus said, how they'll know us. How they'll know you're my disciples? By the type of music. By the way you dress. No, by the way you love each other. It's different. By how united we are. How, how eagerly we pursue the things that are pure and right and good and just. And flee the things that are dark and twisted and impure. How courageously submissive we are to leadership. How... Um, different our values are. And all this is not a pipe dream because of my third point. We have been given everything necessary to fulfill this calling. So the church is imperfect, but has been given a a holy calling and everything necessary to fulfill it. And this is what I'll close on. Why is Paul grateful in verse four? Look back in your Bibles. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. I give thanks for you, but not because of you. He gives thanks for the church, but not because the church is so great, not because the church is really doing well in the area of unity, because they're not, not because the church is doing really well in the area of purity, because they're not. He gives thanks for them, but not because of them. He gives thanks because... Of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him. And in all speech. In all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. 
so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God had given them grace through Jesus Christ. Grace is undeserved good, undeserved blessings. He sums it up well in Romans chapter 5, first two verses. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So as imperfect as we are, we are totally justified and totally at peace with God because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We have it. We have that. We have sonship. The, the, the attempt to improve in our Christian growth is not like tryouts for sports teams or auditions. It's, it's sons growing in the likeness of their father. This means we don't need to hide or justify our imperfections. This means we can confront them with peaceful confidence. For you, this means you can acknowledge your imperfections, your sin. You don't have to hide or justify your imperfection. We can confess and repent with our church. We can get involved with what we notice is imperfect. One pastor a while back I heard made a pretty good point here that I think he's probably right. What you notice most that's imperfect might be where the Lord is calling you most to serve. It might be that you have some corresponding gift that could fulfill that need. I know for me personally, if I go visit a church, I don't notice music quality or anything like that. I don't, what I notice is if the preaching and teaching is biblical or not. And I think that's because that's, that's this particular gift God has given me. So whatever you may notice or be most frustrated by among us, maybe that's what the Lord's calling you to work on. And I'm not just talking about preferences either. I mean, maybe you notice that you wish Jan was up here rocking an electric guitar. Well, maybe she will. After reggae phase, maybe we'll go to to hard rock phase. I'm talking about things like teaching and leadership and the organizational aspect of the church and the service aspect and the outreach aspect and the prayer aspect and all the things we're called to do. So we're given grace in Jesus Christ. We're also given comprehensive spiritual giftedness. Comprehensive spiritual giftedness. That's what it says. In every way you were enriched in him. And he specifies in in all speech and all knowledge because that was a particular concern to this church. And then verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, I believe when God puts together a church, he gives it all the spiritual giftedness it needs to function. Now, we might not be able to do all the things that we dream up that we'd like to do. We might not be able to build the Tower to Babel. But we can definitely fulfill the calling God has given us as a people. And we can trust that he's given us the Holy Spirit to gift each of us individually to work together to make it happen. So your gift is essential to that, whatever it may be. And I would encourage you to start serving, start figuring out, where am I fruitful? Where am I passionate? Where am I helpful? It might take some time to figure it out. I'd love to meet with you to pray through it. But I think we have everything we need. And then finally, in Christ, God gives us eternal hope. That's our last two verses. Three verses, I'm sorry. Seven through nine. 
so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This means, and this is a good note to end on, we have every reason to be optimistic about our progress as a church. We have no reason to be pessimistic about our progress as a church. And even our neighboring churches, we have every reason to be optimistic and hopeful. Jesus Christ, our Lord, will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We've been called by a faithful God. He's not going to call us into this thing and leave us. He gives us everything we need, and he will sustain us to the end, guiltless. Have every reason to be optimistic. There's no reason to complain or lament. Let's just get to work together. There's no room for pessimism. We have everything we need in Jesus Christ. So yes, the church is imperfect, but has been given a holy calling and everything we need to fulfill it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be your church. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Be gracious and merciful toward us with all of our imperfections. But Lord, help us to remember our holy calling. Help us to lean into that calling with joyful hearts, peaceful hearts, knowing that we're already justified through Jesus Christ. Help us to think clearly about these things in any way in which you would like for us to change and improve and progress as a church. Make that clear and plain to all of us together at the same time. Let us move forward with unity in Christ. Let us as individuals move forward in our growth in Christ. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that we get to be yours. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the grace that you've poured out upon this church. Thank you for the giftedness that you have enriched us with as a church. May we bring you much glory, much honor. In Jesus' name, amen.